You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. British Columbians who headed south or to the island this long weekend may have gotten a preview of the busy summer travel season ahead. There were long lines at land border crossings, and while BC Ferries beefed up its service, people are, but they still had to pack their patience. Emily Lazatini is live mm -hmm. at the ferry terminal in Tawasson with all the details. Mm -hmm. Emily. Yeah, Colleen, I'd have to say it's been a busy day, but stress-free. Now, this lot behind us at the Tawasin Ferry Terminal is typically overflowing on a Thursday or Friday of a long weekend. Uh, but right now, it seems BC Ferries pulling out all the stops is actually working. Uh, traffic is moving quite well. Now, depending on where you're heading, you're still looking at a one to two sailing weight, but Colleen, nothing too hectic. Easter long weekend, a great opportunity for a brief post-spring break getaway. We're golfing, actually. We're taking a trip to Idaho. The excitement to head down south, obvious, looking at the massive lineups at the Peace Arch border and Pacific Highway truck crossing. Vehicles moving at a snail's pace. It's been three, four hours. Really? Yeah. Wow, painful. It's very painful. Uh, we've been waiting for two hours. We were here quarter to uh, it's been about two, yeah, about two and a half hours now. From land to sea, where about 400,000 travelers are expected to flow through ferry terminals this weekend. In Tawasin, many banked on an early start. We're up earlier than usual, but that's okay. Yeah, we kind of left the house at 7 o'clock, got here at around 8. Honestly, we didn't even uh, book a ferry today. We just came early and expected that we were going to be here for a while, but it wasn't even that bad of a wait, like an hour and a half wait. Plagued by cancellations and staff shortages in recent months, in anticipation of the weekend rush, BC Ferries adding more than 180 sailings to its busiest routes, with extra staff on standby. But the bonus ride still had some playing it safe. You've got a big smile on your face today. Well, we booked ahead. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> That's probably why. Like three weeks ago. <laughs> Midday at the Swartz Bay Terminal, it wasn't looking too bad. From Metro Vancouver to Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast, an average two sailing wait on popular routes. Not too much frustration oh, in this car. <laughs> Maybe some of the cars further back. <laughs> back at the border crossings, the lineup to get into Washington will be worth the wait, according to this crew. Well, this couple here just got engaged, so we're celebrating. But for this couple, there's that guessing game most of us play. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> and, and there's no silver lining. No, I, I can estimate another two hours at least. Hopefully a little faster. Emily Lazatin, Global News. All right, Colleen, a quick check on the borders heading into Washington. We're down to five minutes at the Peace Arch and 50 minutes at the PAC uh, Highway uh, truck crossing. But back here at the ferry terminals have not uh, run into anybody disappointed or frustrated. So that's good news, Colleen, and hopefully it is smooth sailing uh, from here on out. Fingers back crossed. All right. Thanks so much, Emily. And it is going to be a wet long weekend on the south coast. A parade of storms is headed our way. With all the details, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell. Yvonne. Oh, it's going to be back-to-back, -back, very soggy with very windy conditions. We're going to be tracking that for both Saturday and continuing towards our Sunday. This evening, just a few spotty showers are picking up, but the bulk of the moisture is really in behind it. This is for Saturday, and this is what we'll be tracking for Sunday. Upwards of 30 millimeters for tomorrow, but then by Sunday night, this is the concern. The total amounts, that's 
where we've got the special weather statement and we're looking at the potential all areas in green 30 and up to 150 millimeters of rain that takes us in towards our Sunday night. Also paired with very windy conditions, the eastern edge of the island and right along the Sunshine Coast, we could see some of those gusts of up to 90 kilometers per hour. So very wet and windy conditions. The big concern as well, we've got melting snow with the heavy rain. We could see the potential for localized flooding. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Colleen. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Vancouver police have released a new policy that could lead to fewer people being handcuffed. The police board launched a review three years ago after officers detained and handcuffed Maxwell Johnson and his granddaughter after they tried to open a bank account downtown. The latest update stems from a complaint by Selwyn Romilly after officers handcuffed the retired judge in his 80s on the seawall in May of 2021, mistaking him for a much younger suspect. Both of those complaints have now been settled. The revised policy orders officers to evaluate the risk before cuffing a suspect and to consider a person's age, ethnicity and the seriousness of the crime. An officer must also be able to explain why handcuffs were used. The judgment call comes down to the officer regardless of the policy that's in place, regardless of his or her training. I hate to say this, but we have to remember, we cannot police based on someone's race. We cannot police based on someone's uh, physical well-being or not. We cannot police those ways. The law has to be equally applied across the board. Justice Romilly settled his complaint with Vancouver Police Thursday. He tells Global News he wants to review the policy before commenting. Victoria City Council is revising its decision and reversing it. Uh, it voted once again to provide funding for late-night police patrols in the downtown core. A decision was made to cut the program last month, but that decision was met with criticism from many, including Victoria's police chief. Kali Stanton has more. There's always something to drink to here at the Barden Banker, but this time it's the staff that's celebrating. I think we're all really excited. Um, it really keeps um, a presence around and it helps to keep our patrons and our staff safe. After weeks of confusion, late night Victoria police patrols will return to the downtown core following a decision Thursday night by mayor and council. It was how do we restore that 220,000 having previously made some cuts to the city tax lift. We know from the police that uh, it is very important to even assist business owners. The motion put forward would allocate an additional $500,000 to the 2023 budget, increasing property tax from 6% to approximately 6.3%. $220,000 of that will go towards funding the program, with another $35,200 for a two-month pilot project expansion. To add more officers, the rest is earmarked for revitalization projects downtown. But there is a catch. We're putting back into the city side of the budget, not the policing side of the budget, that $220,000 with the condition that next year, if it's a, con uh, a critical piece of policing, it should come out of the police budget. Well, guys, let's wrap up. The Thanks money for, for the late-night police patrol program that funds four officers to patrol streets, bars, and nightclubs every Friday and Saturday night was cut from the city's budget last month, leaving police chief Del Manick stunned. This is not an optional resource. 
This is a must-have. Several city councillors came forward admitting they weren't fully aware what they were cutting when they voted. But the mayor made it clear Thursday she was not convinced. I do not believe that the decision we made to remove $220,000 was unintentional. And I will certainly say that in my case, it was not. Still, she voted in favor of the motion that passed eight to one. Victoria police were not available for comment, but the industry as a whole is grateful. It means there's one less thing on their plate. It makes us feel super comfortable and able to operate um, in a safe manner for everybody to have fun. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. <laughs> City crews were back on Vancouver's downtown east side today, clearing out tents and other structures along Hastings Street. It's been almost five months since the Premier promised to better coordinate service delivery in the area. And as Kristen Robinson reports, residents are questioning whether government spending is actually helping anyone or simply maintaining the status quo. I feel like I'm dispensable. Amid the displacement on day three of tent removal on East Hastings... We're going to try and... Get out of here. Jody, who says she uses illicit drugs to cope with chronic pain, sits outside the BC Housing Office. We can't get pushed any farther um, to the docks. For decades, money from all levels of government has poured into the blocks surrounding Hastings and Maine, funding services for the most vulnerable. I think this uh, homelessness is a big business here. The activists and everything, or whomever, are we helping anyone or are we just sustaining poverty? We are helping a lot of people. In fact, uh, often the people who have gotten out and got into market rent or moved uh, or come back to their communities in often cases, their stories don't get told. Things are getting worse. Five months ago, BC Premier David Eby announced a new approach. I've not seen it look worse. The province would take over coordination of service delivery on the downtown east side. The first step, a plan to clear the Hastings encampment. There's a reason why no government has ever stepped up and put their hand up, because it is a real challenge. Vancouver Councillor Pete Fry says people need resources now. We need to recognize that the shelter system's not working. The SROs are, we're losing them at a rapid rate. They're unsustainable and they're uninhabitable in many cases. So we need some immediate solutions. BC's housing minister says the first of the province's two long-delayed navigation centres will open soon at Orange Hall to connect people with housing and mental health supports, while occupancy permits have been received for 95 supportive housing units. The long-term strategy includes tracking downtown east side spending and outcomes. I don't think that the dollars are being spent properly, and, you know, I fear to even say that. You know, people think that life on disability, oh, look, they don't work, look at them, they just want a handout, they want this, they want that. No. I would do anything to be a productive member of society again, and I'm not, and I can't help that. And I think a lot of us down here are like that. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A single mother in Vancouver is taking on her landlord in court to challenge her eviction. As Paul Johnson reports, she says she's being evicted because she's paying her rent with assistance. <coughs> Playing with her young son in her lawyer's office, Kate Powers got a story to tell about making it in Vancouver as a single mom. I was looking um, for something that was going to be affordable. I was looking for a very small space. Pregnant with her son in the summer of 2021, Power landed an apartment in this building and planned to make a go of it here. When an unexpected financial problem left her unable to make rent, 
She scrambled and says she managed to cover the shortfall with help from some nonprofits. I was granted a subsidy towards our situation, which is essentially uh, money that comes from these amazing donors that goes directly to the landlord. But what happened next shocked her and upended her life. She says the landlord refused to accept the assistance money she'd lined up, which put her into arrears and in a position where she could be evicted, which she says the landlord moved to do just days before she gave birth. She flat out initially um, refused, flat out, I will not be accepting these payments. I haven't seen this before. Lawyer Ashley Sire says landlords in B.C. can't create a situation where a tenant ends up in arrears because they won't accept money. She managed to stave off Powers' eviction by taking the case to B.C. Supreme Court. Their hearing is set for June. The B.C. Human Rights Code prohibits landlords from discriminating based on a lawful source of income. Court documents identify the landlord as Susan Wong of Bonnie Hawn Enterprises. We tried to reach her on the phone and at her office for comment, but couldn't locate her in time for this report. As for power, she says she's a reluctant litigant, but one that scrambled to try to make good on her end of the deal at a tough time in her life. You know, I signed paperwork, I made good on a payment, so we deserve our, our housing. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Respiratory illness season is drawing to a close, but hospitalizations in B.C. remain unusually high, putting the pressure on the health care system. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on that. Keith, what do the most recent numbers tell us? Yeah, again, we've been focusing on ferry terminals, roads and airports being very busy on a holiday weekend. The other place calling that's going to be busy this weekend, our hospital system. Lost in sort of the good news yesterday about how our COVID numbers are down, we're dropping the mask mandate in hospitals and we're easing out of the pandemic, was an interesting slide that from Health Minister Adrian Nix that shows a slight decline in hospitalizations, but still at levels quite high compared to normal before the pandemic. So you see on the left here, we, we spiked at about 10,200 patients just after January 6th, we're now at about 9,700 at the very right side of this graph on March 31st. 9,700 is much lower, well, not a lot lower, but it's lower. But on, in context, it's about several hundred higher than what we normally had before the pandemic. A combination of factors are crowding our hospitals. Health Minister Adrian Nix yesterday said it's important to put a slight drop here in context. What that tells us is that hospitalization remains high. And the delivery of healthcare services is at a very high level in BC. Last week, the last measurable week, we set another record uh, for that week for the number of surgeries completed, for the amount of diagnostic tests um, uh, completed, but also that our healthcare workers are, uh, are busy across the board. So a number of factors may be at play here, Colleen. We've got a rapidly rising population. About 250,000 people have moved into B.C. the last few years. Obviously, a big percentage of them are going to access the health care system more than what we saw previous years. Also, the population is aging. A couple of more statistics I'll throw at you. Uh, emergency room visits, about almost 7,000 this week on a daily basis. That compares to about 6,500 on a daily basis pre-pandemic. 25% increase in code purple and code red calls with our ambulance service. So so again, an aging population and an increasing population is putting pressure on a healthcare system like never before, and very little of it has to do with COVID. Wow. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. They are symbols of freedom and sacrifice erected so we will never forget. But the cenotaph in Cloverdale, around which thousands gather each Remembrance Day, has been removed 
to repair vandalism. What some veterans are saying about this despicable act of disrespect in just over a minute. A unique take on an Easter egg hunt in Michigan, the airdrop that had hundreds of kids scrambling. And it turns out Game of Thrones wasn't all fantasy. The dire confirmation that has researchers in Alberta so excited. Those stories coming up on the news hour. Surrey RCMP are investigating a particularly disturbing case of vandalism. Someone attacked one of the centerpieces of Surrey's Remembrance Day ceremonies. As Jasmine Bala reports, some local veterans are devastated. Every year on November 11th, Cloverdale remembers. And we all come around this monument to pay our respects. But now... Empty. Its cenotaph is missing something, a someone. Uh, he was kneeling just in front of the grave of a fallen soldier. And uh, so obviously one of the bricks has been dislodged. Yeah. It's not here. Where there was once a bronze sculpture of a kneeling soldier from the First World War, now nothing but empty space. Our kneeling soldier that sat on top of the uh, cenotaph has been vandalized, as far as we know. The city says the statue was pushed off the cenotaph on March 29th in an act of vandalism. Surrey RCMP are now investigating the incident that's left members of the Legion disturbed. <sighs> Terrible. Sorry. Uh, it shouldn't happen. Uh, to see uh, such damage uh, caused to a, a sacred, sacred uh, symbol of, uh, of the, f the freedoms and the sacrifices that past serving members have been through so that today we can live in peace. It's unheard of. The statue is currently with the city's public art collection while the damage is being repaired. Apparently all the pieces are there and he hopefully in the next few months will be back on top of the cenotaph. The city says repairs should be finished in the coming weeks. For now, the cenotaph is missing its mourning soldier after a disturbing act of vandalism. Yeah, terrible. Jasmine Bala, Global News. If you're looking for a family-friendly activity this long weekend, Burnaby's Central Miniature Railway opens today. Here's the train making the first run of its 30th season at Confederation Park. Each train is pulled by an electric steam or diesel locomotive. They're owned and maintained by BC Society of Model Engineers. With Stanley Park Easter train still closed because of mechanical issues, families are invited to hop on board the train in North Burnaby. Being a smaller train, Gage, we're really close to the track, so you ride close to the track, so it's a really good riding feeling out there. And for us as volunteers, best thing is that everybody gets off the train smiling, that makes our day. That looks like so much fun. Burnaby firefighters are on hand with uh, to volunteer today. Proceeds from opening day go to the Burnaby Fires Charitable Society. The train runs on weekends and holidays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. through Thanksgiving. Tickets are $4.50 each. Kids under the age of three ride for free. What do you do when you find a bear hibernating under your mobile home? We'll have that story for you next. Plus an absolute mosaic of vegetation, muck, and water with beaver dams all over the place. The new project using beavers to build and replace decommissioned artificial dams.
And on this green shirt day, a BC woman's motivation to get more people to register as organ donors. Imagine living in your home knowing a bear is hibernating underneath it and could wake up at any moment. That's what residents of a mobile home in Salmon Arm are facing. No surprise, the potentially risky situation has them and others in the mobile home park a little frightened. Megan Tercato reports. Since last week, this hole in the side of a trailer in Salmon Arm's Evergreen Mobile Home Park has been the focus of a lot of neighborhood attention. After a family reported spotting a black bear poking its head and front paws out of the opening. When we got there, the bear appeared to have gone back underneath the trailer and what we think happened was it was hibernating under there and it woke up and it probably felt the temperature change get colder and went back to sleep. Down the street, Dana Reynolds was disappointed she only found out about the bear through a social media post. I just think that they should warn a little bit more people because a lot of people are walking around kind of clueless to the whole situation, which it could be a safety hazard for people. The Conservation Officer Service set up a live bear trap just outside the hole, hoping to catch the bear when it wakes up. But Reynolds would like to see more action for residents' peace of mind. We're sitting inside kind of in fear, not being able to go to our cars without being worried, right? So. It's um, it's just a little bit scary. You know, every morning you got to go like, here, bear, because you just don't know if he's hiding around your car, right? The conservation officer that initially responded to the call said the level of risk is low as the bear is believed to be hibernating and COs did contact neighbours near the bear trap. Eric Tycote said trapping the bear is the safest option. Right now? You know, trying to drive it out of a confined space where that's the only entrance and exit. Um, very dangerous. While everyone waits to see if the bear will be captured by the trap, conservation officers are urging residents to ensure their garbage and other bear attractants are locked up and to call the CO hotline if they spot the animal. Megan Turcato, Global News, Salmon Arm. It's International Beaver Day and a new project is mapping the province to figure out where the rodents can replace decommissioned artificial dams. Beavers naturally flood new habitat where they build their dams, allowing other species to move in and benefit from a stable water source. But hunting and habitat loss have effectively pushed beavers out of the Fraser Valley. And the remaining mountain beaver populations are in and around Manning Provincial Park. Well now, ecologists with Ducks Unlimited are looking at ways to reintroduce beavers to a wider area. Pre-contact, what that would have looked like instead of, you know, you, you can picture driving up Highway 1, instead of the, the farm fields and cities that you see now, would have been um, periodically wetted area, uh, braided little side channels of the Fraser going everywhere, uh, mucky dams with, with like, you know, low shrubby deciduous vegetation, um, just a, an absolute mosaic of vegetation, muck, and water um, with beaver dams all over the place. Representatives from Ducks Unlimited and the Moachat First Nation on Vancouver Island will head south of the border next week to witness a beaver reintroduction project in Washington State. Coming up next, why Pope Francis pulled out of a major Easter event today. Plus, Israeli airstrikes in Gaza as tensions threaten to turn into a much broader conflict. And I myself, I think about Logan every day. 
The amazing impact of Green Shirt Day for organ recipients and the families of donors. Next. Pope Francis pulled out of a major Easter event today after being hospitalized due to health concerns. The pontiff did not preside over Good Friday's Way of the Cross celebration at the Colosseum. The Vatican blames Rome's extremely cold weather. The Pope did attend today's service at St. Peter's Basilica. He used a wheelchair to reach the central area where he presided over the event. Francis is still scheduled to attend Mass tomorrow and on Easter Sunday when he's expected to deliver a long speech. The 86-year-old was treated for bronchitis last week. A bloody start to the Easter weekend in Israel following two days of unrest at Jerusalem's most sensitive holy site. The Israeli military struck targets in Gaza earlier today. Some of the explosions caught on camera. Joe Scarapelli has more on the rising tensions that could turn into a much broader conflict. Blasts could be seen on the Gaza City skyline as Israeli airstrikes set off at least four loud explosions Friday morning. The Israeli military says it struck a pair of tunnels and two weapons manufacturing sites, as well as other sites linked to the Islamic group Hamas in Lebanon. The latest violence is in response to alleged rocket launches from Lebanon towards Israel a day earlier, which Israeli officials have blamed on Hamas. Following Israel strikes Friday, Gaza militants fired back with new rocket blasts, setting off air raid sirens across southern Israel. But the Israeli military says that 25 of those 34 rockets were intercepted by air defense systems. And only hours later, two Israeli women were killed in a shooting following a reported collision between Israeli and Palestinian vehicles. Tensions are high after two nights of Israeli police raids at a Jerusalem mosque earlier this week. The raids triggered violent confrontations with Palestinians. In 2021, similar fighting led to an 11-day war between Israel and Hamas. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. Today is Green Shirt Day. Five years ago, a tragedy in Saskatchewan struck the hearts of people around the world. But what came from that tragedy saved the lives of six people. And as Brody Ratcliffe tells us, the number has now grown into the hundreds. April 7th is a day the Boulay family won't soon forget. Losing their son, Logan, to injuries he suffered in a bus crash the day prior. But the whole thing, it just never seemed like this isn't real, this isn't happening. You're in that room that you, that you see on TV. We're not really in that room. On April 6th, Logan Belay was one of the 29 passengers involved in the Humble Broncos bus crash. The following day, as Logan's life began to come to an end due to his injuries, a decision was made that would inspire thousands of Canadians. You want people just to leave you alone because now you knew you only had this much time with your son. And then you're going to walk him down the hall to the operating room. Logan donated his organs, ensuring six lives continued. The Logan Boulay effect quickly swept the nation. It's estimated close to 150,000 people registered to be organ donors. One of those recipients helped design the shirts for this year's Green Shirt Day. Um, with the kidney, you know, that was kind of like when the Logan Boulay effect was just kind of kicking off. So, you know, we do have more organ donors now that have signed up. Brandy Hine has received two organs in her lifetime, a liver and a kidney. She says it was important for her to make the shirt. I myself, I think about Logan every day and, you know, 
it's hard not to think of the Hubble and the Hubble Broncos. So yeah, it's just, you know, it's just like, here, have this. <laughs> now on the hardest day for the Boulets, the nation recognizes Green Shirt Day, a legacy their son started the day his life ended. Brody Ratcliffe, Global News. A Metro Vancouver professor is using her story to raise awareness about organ donation. Carrie Jung is a heart transplant recipient, and with the help of the Capilano University and BC Transplant, she organized an in-person organ donation registration drive for students and staff on campus. Young says she wanted to hold the event because she knows firsthand how much organ donation can mean to recipients, donor families, and their loved ones. I was on many different treatments both pharmaceutical. I also had several heart surgeries until finally in 2002 I received my new heart. That decision is a very simple one to make, but it may have long-lasting positive impact, not on just the people who may receive organs that are donated, but the impact on the family members and their friends, their colleagues, their social circle. On this Green Shirt Day, you can register as an organ donor by going to beadonor.ca. Why you may want to make alternative plans for your Easter egg hunt on Sunday. Yvonne is here with the forecast next. Plus, the discovery in Alberta that makes this Game of Thrones scene all too real. And the ball hockey tournament that's about so much more than winning. The Future of Work series. Tune into Global News April 10th to 23rd for daily features focused on training for the workforce of the future. In partnership with Vancouver Island University. Learn more at viu.ca. Okay, have a look at this rather unique Easter tradition in Michigan today. A helicopter dropping more than 20,000 marshmallows into a park. Local children gathered around the perimeter of the field waiting for the drop. And once it happened, they went rushing in to collect as many of the pillowy soft treats as possible. They could be traded for other prizes, though I'm sure some of them ate them as well, Yvonne. You know, <laughs> you know they were probably a little soggy. <laughs> yeah, it's okay if they're soggy. It's That's fine. okay. That's Definitely okay. soggy treats this weekend. Yeah, Easter egg hunt. We're going to plan it indoors if possible on Sunday, and I'll show you why. It's going to be a soaker. We're tracking a parade of storms, and we've got back-to-back -back systems. Right now, it's been dry out there. We've got a brief break. We've got a mainly cloudy sky. Temperatures are sitting at 11 degrees. Uh, through the day today, we bumped up to closer to 13. Average sits at 12. Last year, we were at 13 degrees. And notice 23 degrees. That was set back in 1977. Overnight tonight, it'll be a chance of showers, but the heavier rain picks up with very windy conditions tomorrow. Anywhere between 30, we could see gusts of up to 60 kilometers per hour. And through the afternoon, highs just getting up to 9 degrees. It'll be a touch cooler. There's a system that will track for Saturday and then the one in behind it for Sunday and likely wetter on Sunday. So do keep that in mind. Here's the special weather statement once again, blanketing the south coast, 30 and up to 150 millimeters tonight taking us in towards Sunday night and 
those winds along the eastern edge of the island and the Sunshine Coast, gusts of up to 90 kilometers per hour. Very windy this evening for areas near Haida Gwaii. Sustained winds at 90 and gusts of up to 110 kilometers per hour, taking us in towards tomorrow morning before we start to see a break. Here's the weather maker for Saturday. That swath of moisture, even wetter on Sunday, and will likely hang on to another round of rain by Monday night. Now, coastal areas for tomorrow will bump up to 16 degrees. The central and southern half of the province, southern interior will have a nice break tomorrow, likely seeing that rain moving in for Sunday night and then a look ahead towards our Monday. Areas along the island and the lower mainland, that's we'll see the rainfall heavy at times, even wetter on Sunday. Be prepared. Monday, the next round of rain moving in towards the evening. Breaks once again will be on our Wednesday with highs up to 12. All right, Colleen, gorgeous shot. This weather window is captured by Al. The sunrise in the morning from Peachland. Back to you. Stunning. All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. A new discovery has confirmed that the dire wolf made famous in the HBO series Game of Thrones once roamed the Canadian prairies. While they're CGI in the series, 50,000 years ago, these Ice Age mammals were very real and grew to the size of St. Bernard's. A jawbone discovered near Medicine Hat in the 1960s has long been suspected to be that of a dire wolf, but it wasn't until recent technology confirmed it. The discovery makes this the northernmost confirmed example of the species ever found. The fact that helps researchers understand the area's history. If we didn't know that the dire wolf was here in Alberta at this time, we wouldn't know, you know, which predators were preying on the large herbivores that existed in the area, like horses and camels and bison and mammoths. And I'll work on taking the spot just to the west of you and bringing it. Canada's Ice Age era was about 25 to 50,000 years ago, and there's still much to learn and explore. Reynolds' team believes the key to unlocking this part of the past lies in these southern Alberta formations, the place where the dire wolf once roamed. Some spectacular video out of Richmond. Have a look at this. Global viewer Lester Sue captured this video of hundreds of snow geese flocking to Richmond's North Dyke at River Road, blocking a residential street. The geese have begun their annual migration back to their breeding grounds in Alaska and Siberia. Last month, the Richmond RCMP issued a warning to drivers to be careful after a number of birds were struck and killed by vehicles on city streets. My goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, Asa is here now with a look at what's coming up in sports. Asa. Yeah, lots going on, and uh, this is an interesting story. Rob Williams has a radical approach when it comes to throwing a football. Give quarterbacks the visual of being like a loaded slingshot when they're in the pocket. So they're moving, moving, moving in the pocket, but like that, boom, the ball's out. Yeah, Squire Barnes uh, has load. a story Hold on away. the local kinesiologist who is turning heads by teaching quarterbacks to turn their hips. Interesting. Looking forward to it. And the ball hockey tournament on Lil Watt Nation that says much about kinship as it is about competition. Stay with us. has the weekend off so Asa is here with sports and uh, I'm thinking Canucks fans might say a little too little too late yeah probably but uh, some silver lining some things that uh, they're working towards that they definitely got last night the Canucks snapped a streak of 133 games without a shutout in a season where the playoffs have been out of the picture for months it's 
Nice to break some bad streaks and reach some milestones. Elias Pettersson is just two points away from 100 points this season. A huge accomplishment and one that coach Rick Tockett achieved once as a member of the Penguins. I mean, I played play with Muriel Lemieux, so. <laughs> I just went to the net with my stick on the ice. I mean, uh, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, it's a nice milestone. But the thing is, you, you can't look for it. You just got to let it organically happen. Because sometimes if you try too hard, it usually doesn't happen. So hopefully just plays the game the right way. Right, sticking with hockey game four between the Blazers and Giants at the Langley Event Center last night. Giants looking to avoid the series sweep. They get their first lead in this series in this game. Ty Thorpe is scoring the first of a hat trick on the night. It was 2-2 late in the first period and a buzzer beater from Connor Levis to give Kamloops the lead through 20 minutes. Skip to the third now. 4-3 Kamloops and Skyler Bruce keeps hope alive for the home side scoring the power play goal and sending this game to overtime. Time ticking down in the extra frame and it's another buzzer beater for the Blazers. Olin Zellweger the sends the Giants packing 5-4 the final. Kamloops completing the sweep. And it's just wrapped up moments ago. Women's World Championship in Brampton, Canada facing Czechia. And a historic moment in the first period, two on one. Marie-Philippe Poulain scores her 100th goal for Canada. Yeah, I love to see it. Uh, she'd scored another in this game to get to 101 in her career. It was tied 1-1 late in the first year. Renata Fast scores to give Canada the lead. That's the eventual winner. They go on to take this one 5-1. All right, the Whitecaps are back in MLS action tomorrow night. They can put the CONCACAF Champions League competition behind them for the moment. Anyway, they are undefeated in their last four MLS matches. And the depth is being tested with the club in the middle of a grueling stretch of five games in 15 days. Lucky because I have a lot of good players and we can rotate players without, uh, I'd say, reducing the quality of the team. So Wednesday, we, I think we change four or five players. Tomorrow, we'll change some other players too. So it's, uh, I would say, it's what we asked at the beginning of the season to have at least uh, 18, 19, 20 guys that can be considered starters. Vancouver Rogers Arena. We'll see you soon, Canada. Yeah, this is exciting news as confirmed by UFC President Dana White. So the major MMA event is coming back to Vancouver for the first time since September 2019. UFC 289 will be at Rogers Arena on June 10th. A third meeting between Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena will headline this event. All right, all eyes uh, on the Masters this weekend. To Tiger Woods looking to make the cuts. Uh, one of his best shots today on the par three sixth. Nearly drops right into the cup. This is not a great shot anyway. Uh, he two butts from there though, so still plus two. The story of the day though, amateur Sam Bennett, his putter was on fire. Back to back birdies on eight and nine, then again on 13 and 14. He's in second place. Yes, the amateur in second place, I know, at eight under. Everyone though chasing uh, Brooks Kepka. He made his big move on eight. Uh, this approach to setting up an eagle putts that he'd, uh, he'd get to drop uh, and get to 12 under. So yeah, great shot, set him up for eagle and he drained it from there. Play was suspended for the day though, but not before this happened, Colleen. Oh, good oh. gracious, watch out. Oh my Oh my God, everybody's okay. Mm -hmm. Holy yeah, thankfully everyone is okay. No injuries reported. The tree fell near the 17th tee wow. at the Masters. Uh, storms were expected today and throughout the weekend to play what's suspended earlier in the day. 
The second round, as mentioned, officially suspended, will resume tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. our time. That's a hazard. I know. Well, finding a more efficient way of doing something improves productivity. That's the logic Rob Williams uses when he teaches quarterbacks like former BC Lion Nathan Rourke. But as Squire Barnes tells us in this story, while it has proven to be effective and can even prevent injury, the Williams way still has its stubborn skeptics. Turn, turn, all one motion. Turn, turn. There you go. Rob Williams has taken what he learned as a kinesiologist and applied it to teaching quarterbacks a new way to throw the ball. The power generation muscles in the body are the, are the big muscles in the center of the body. So use the big powerful muscles to generate the power in a smaller space and then relax the arm and let the arm be nice and loose and whippy so that it spins the ball and you can, and you can control the accuracy. The idea basically is to keep the arm from being the main power source in the throw, which could also decrease the chance of soreness and injury. This method you have, it reduces the chance of what kind of injury? Primarily um, impingement issues in the shoulder joint and lots of other things that can happen, elbows and, and stuff like that. Compact, punch, good ball, wow. One player who's working with Rob to change his mechanics is Lions quarterback Dominique Davis. Everything doesn't have to be, you know, 1,000% force. Everything is just smooth and everything looks simple and the ball comes out just as the, the same as if I was trying to throw it as hard as I could. Davis learned about Williams because of the work he had done with former Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke. I was one of those guys who didn't expect uh, Nathan to play the way he did. And it was last season when Nathan Rourke changed the minds of a lot of people who thought he could not throw the ball very far. I comfortably say that we've added 10 yards to his deep ball and, um, and taken a ton of stress off his body and his shoulder in in creating that that distance. How many old football guys don't like what you're teaching? <laughs> you know you know how this works, right? Uh, right away it was he can't possibly know what he's talking about. He's making this up. He's just he's just trying to sell whatever. Drive it. I guess what you're doing, Rob, is radical to them, correct? Very yeah, very very much so. Nobody should have a really a big arm. They they should have like powerful, efficient body and a relaxed arm. Wider slot, nice ball. Yeah, interesting I'm, notes there, good advice. I'm feeling more positive yeah, already. <laughs> throw a football 60 yards, come on. Right, Asa, <laughs> thank you so much. Up next, the Unity Cup Ball Hockey Tournament and why it's so important. Stay with us. Indigenous ball hockey players from across the province are gathering in the Lilwat Nation east of Pemberton to compete in the Unity Cup. It's an annual tournament open to players of all skill levels. Competition aside, it's also a celebration of diverse Indigenous communities bonding through a shared love of sport. Here are some of the sights and sounds from day one of the four-day tournament. As you can see, we're playing some floor hockey right now. It's our main sport, we love it. But as soon as we start scoring, people are giving it their 1,000%, even though it's just for fun. 
playing for quite a while and um, I've always enjoyed playing. It's good for them to do this. It really brings the Statlium community because there's 11 communities in the Statlium territory and it really helps bring us together. We play offsides, it's super competitive and every time we're here, the community supports us like crazy. Like I, uh, I feel like I'm part of it. Every time I come, they always say hi, welcome back, good to see you. It's been so long. This community has always been a hockey community. It's what we live for. We're, we're all family out here. Whoever needs a ride, we're, we're bringing them. This is their sport. You know, we can't just be stuck at home doing nothing. We all love to be out and active. There's no word to explain the feeling, to see them all come, to see the, the parents watching their like their family, their kids out there, mothers and daughters playing. There's a grandma who played with her granddaughter at one point. You can't explain it. It's awesome. That is so cool. Love it. That's Love it. it. Yeah, that's what it's all about, right? No kidding. Together. Yvonne, one last look at the weather forecast. Going to be soggy for our Easter weekend. Rain heavy at times for both Saturday and Sunday. Sunday, likely the wetter out of the bunch. We'll also see very windy conditions tomorrow. Those winds getting up to 60 kilometers per hour. So plan those Easter egg hunt inside. Indoors. Indoors. All right. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great weekend. Take care.